Welcome to the Burn Bright Podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping big-hearted, creative women battle burnout and live happy, healthy, vibrant lives. I'm Kellyanne, a fellow big-hearted creative, a licensed therapist, and a proud rookie millennial. Welcome, everyone, to season two. I cannot believe I lasted this long. <laughs> Uh, because as I've said before, I'm a giant big old quitter and I don't usually tend to finish things, but this podcast has been such a joy that I am going to stick around for a long time to come, I think, and keep doing this. So this is season two, we're kicking off and I wanted to start this podcast by showcasing kind of the new tone and the energy that I want to bring to Burn Bright in season two. And that is to be as serious as I have been, but also with some levity and some humor. And so nothing encapsulates that better than my first podcast guest of the season. Her name is Amy Larman, and she is a licensed clinical social worker like me. She's been doing this for about 18 years and specializes in trauma and particularly dissociative identity disorder, which used to be called multiple personality disorder. Amy is a one-of-kind therapist. I met her 12 years ago when she was my boss, and we became good friends and have stayed in touch and stayed close over the years. Amy and I have a lot in common as to our approach to therapy and also just our determination to face even the biggest challenges with a great sense of humor and some grit. I am excited to have her on here because this episode is going to be all about therapy and therapists, but not in the way you think. It's going to be a unique kind of peek behind the curtain of what it's like to be a therapist, how we have dealt with the highs and the lows of our career, and how we continue to do that with a great sense of humor. So I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did, and welcome Amy wholeheartedly into your listening ears, as I'm sure you will be charmed by her as I am every day as her friend. And then after our interview, we're going to introduce a new podcast segment as promised called Things I'm Loving. And this is where I talk about what I'm gushing over and just enjoying this particular week. I know it's probably been a tough, stressful one for a lot of you. I want you to know that I've got your back to take a break for the time that we have together and enjoy this episode of the podcast. So hi, Amy. I'm so glad you are here today. How are you doing? I'm good. Thank you for having me. I figured you'd be the perfect person to kick this season off because we are both therapists, but also have very similar senses of humor and have gotten through our careers with a light heart while taking what we do pretty seriously. All right. So here's where I wanted to start. So how long have you been a therapist? Let's start there. Just about 18 years. And... Um, I, I'm a couple years behind you. I think I have been a therapist now in title, at least for about 15 years. What made you want to be a therapist? Let's start there. Well, I actually started out as a music major and had no concept of what social work or therapy was, but throughout, um, the first couple of years of college, I realized that I really wanted to leave music as my hobby and passion and choose something else as a career. So I kind of did some research and I had always been interested in in kind of humanitarian efforts. So I kind of did some research around that and found my path through human services and then into social work. Um, So it was kind of, it wasn't my lifelong dream, but I I found my way there and it it felt right and still feels right. 
Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I, I just was, uh, I wanted to be a lawyer. And then I watched like a TV show, which I'm called The Practice, and watched these people <laughs> cry every time their person went to jail because I wanted to be a defense attorney. And and then like conversely, be scared to death when they the person that was guilty, they got free. And I was like, yeah, I don't think I can do that. And <laughs> I'm not tough enough. And then I was doing psychology as well. And I was like, this has got to be somehow linked to something. And then I saw a program that's like, you could be a therapist and you should be a social worker. So I ended up doing social work because I figured I don't want to go to school and get a PhD, but I want to be a therapist. I want to be helpful like you. And so I was like, well, I should, I should be a therapist and do social work instead. And so how did people feel when you switched from your major of music to something totally different, which is social work? Yeah, I think people were really shocked because I think all the way back to like kindergarten, I had said I wanted to be a music teacher or at least do something in the field of music. And then I, as I graduated high school, I graduated with scholarships specifically for music. (laughs) And then, then I ended up being a social worker. So, (laughs) (laughs) you know, it's a normal progression. So people were really shocked at first, but at the same time, people kind of said, okay, like, that kind of suits your personality or suits, you know, I guess my other interests outside of music. So it started to make sense to them after a while, but initially they were shocked. (laughs) Yeah. I don't even think my parents knew what a social worker was or like my friends did either. I think they were kind of like, uh, I I don't know what that is. And I, so I just said therapist because most people, that's the other, like we'll talk about misconceptions about therapists, but like most people don't understand that a good chunk of therapists are social workers, but social work is such a broad concept. And yes. they're kind of like, what? <laughs> what yeah. What do you want to do with your life? And it just, and you know, social work is kind of like, I don't know how else to say it because it is so stigmatized. It was kind of like, wah, wah to everybody when I said, I want to be right. a social worker. They're like, oh, avow poverty. Got it. Um, <laughs> yeah, you're going to take away our kids. Good for you. <laughs> exactly. You're going to be in child protective services, right? That's all you do. Um, mm-hmm. And then you're going to be sad. <laughs> and... I mean, some days that was true. I was sad. Um, And I also worked (laughs) with Child Protective Services at one point as an internship, but I took no children away. So uh, it was just really interesting for them to be like, why would you want to do that? They saw me as big hearted and wanting to help people, but they really didn't get the whole, what? Okay. Uh, (laughs) As long as I'm not going to be claimed as a dependent on my parents' taxes, they were like, well, are you going to be able to survive? Okay, we're good. Uh, so, and then of course I want to do forensic social work and that became really right. clear. Like early on, I wanted to work in prisons and that was when they were like, have you lost your mind? Are you sure <laughs> you want to work in prisons? We sure about that? So yeah, social work has, oh, uh, like sometimes well-deserved rap and then a lot of times not. And, and I, social work has its own misconceptions separate from therapist. Yes. So social work, people have so many different perceptions about what social workers do. I know. They really do. We should talk about that. So just in general, we'll start with this. So this episode, I wanted to be all about like what it's like behind the curtain of like a therapist and what we kind of think and what our trials and tribulations. And then I wanted to have fun and talk about like when people get it right on film and TV and or books or when they get it horribly wrong and what some of our favorites of those are. But what do you think some of the misconceptions about therapy and therapists? And then we'll separate that out and also talk about like misconceptions about social workers. I think in terms of therapists, 
I know from my own personal experience, people think that I'm always on that yes. outside the office, outside of my working hours, I'm constantly analyzing people and yes. diagnosing people and trying to fix people. And that couldn't be further from the truth. The last thing I want to do on a Friday evening after seeing clients all week is to then therapize my friends and right. my family. So that is a huge myth. We do not want to be therapists 24-7, even outside of work. Absolutely not. I co-sign that. That is a huge misconception. I tell people all the time, and they do think like you're therapizing them, right? And it's like, no, I'm really not. I really don't care after <laughs> after six o'clock <laughs> to really handle people's other issues. Like I've given it all away right. in the day. So whatever mm-hmm. you got, I'm just gonna meet you as a friend and be like, Yeah, he's trash. Don't date him. <laughs> yeah, I'm exactly. this is great. Like oh no, this is a dumpster fire. Like, I am not going to be putting on my therapy voice for my friends and family and being like, so tell me how you feel about that. I have a friend who will actually ask me, did you answer that as my friend or as a therapist? I'm like, oh no, no, that was a friend answer. (laughs) Always a friend answer. It is a job, not a, like, it's not, like, we're not in the nunnery. This is not a calling that you answer 24-7. It's a job yeah. that we love, but it's not something I want to be doing on Saturday at 2 p.m. with my right. friends and a martini. I will say, admittedly, there are times that it is hard to turn it off. Yeah. And sometimes I will analyze or diagnose someone outside of work that I really shouldn't be. But I try to really keep that to a minimum. And it's only when it's obvious, I feel like. If you see somebody who's obviously in distress or something like that, like that does kick in. But when it's your friends just asking about like their love life or career decisions and it's not, there's no real consequence. Why, why would we go into therapy mode to just have a conversation with a friend? So I I agree. Like there are times where that works and there's times when it doesn't, uh, it kicks in, you can't help it. And you try to be like, okay, don't do it. Don't do it. Like if I think, oh no, this person, might be struggling and I want I have to figure out like a way to help or just pull back and be like I need to have boundaries and not be in this right now so that's definitely the case yes and there's also some self-preservation there it's like you know five o'clock on a Friday let's talk about me right me talk about like, I have problems too <laughs> it's me 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 time okay exactly Stop it. I'm I'm off I'm off the clock and I want to talk about myself and get my help for me. Somebody therapize me or be a friend or say that the guy like is trash. Um <laughs> So what do you think are some of the misconceptions about social workers? I think like we said earlier that there's just this and I think it's a it's kind of the the fault of the media and you know movies and TV that social workers are the ones that sweep in and take kids out of their homes and you know are always kind of Although they're being saviors, they're also the bad guys in some respect. But, you know, there's so much more to the field of social work, as as you know, just, I mean, you can do individual work, you can work with groups, you can work politically, you can work with organizations, you can do therapy, or you can do more hands-on stuff. I mean, there's, there's just tons and tons and tons of options. So I, I don't like the fact that, you know, the media has kind of portrayed us as these, um, you know, superheroes that go in with capes to steal kids from their homes. <laughs> And then cry and drink later. Um, Yes, exactly. Because I think that's the other thing. Like, I completely agree. People have this very narrow view of what a social worker can do. And so many people in the social work field do so many different things, whether it's, like, grassroots lobbying and 
policy development all the way to yeah. like the specific yes it can include you know child protective services but therapy really grounded therapy and a lion's share of people who are therapists are clinical social workers and a lot of people don't associate that they think of like case management and then for yep. me like a pet peeve is that social workers aren't cool and some of us aren't <laughs> but I'm a cool social worker <laughs> and you are and there's like this myth of like people in Birkenstocks and mm -hmm. like on a commune and not in touch with reality or it's either that or it's like sad and miserable and just not having any kind of joy or spark or personality and I have met some of those people but low like far and wide it has been social workers can be really cool and I think that's part of what I was kind of like always a little ashamed to be a social worker so I was like oh man everyone thinks I'm not gonna be cool because I'm a social worker. Right. Yeah. I had a teacher in, I think it was undergrad, that always wore, every single day, wore corduroy jumpers. <laughs> and I was afraid that that was my fate, that that was going to me, be me. And thankfully, here I am at almost 41 years of age, and I haven't once worn a corduroy jumper. <laughs> you sure there's not one, like, hiding in your closet? I promise. <laughs> it is not there. I, I had a similar experience where I was on an internship and somebody that was in charge of my internship, she had like an iron-on cat sweatshirt. Like she had an iron-on print of like a cat, bless her heart. Like I, I just, and I thought to myself, oh no, oh no. And she wasn't even 30 yet. And I was like, oh no, this is not a good sign. Like am I going to have to get like a cat print sweatshirt and have five cats that I'm allergic to? Is this my future? And it is the social work uniform. <laughs> it's like everything that makes you want to die inside. And then I was like, oh, yeah, it's a choice, though. Like, I don't have to do that. That's right. what she wanted to do for herself. <laughs> I just remember having this panic of like, oh, no, this is, is it true? Is it true? And I'm like, you know, 15 years later, no, maybe 17 at that point, years later, here I am, no cat, sweatshirt, right. iron on print. <laughs> There was a time, however, in our history that we had to buy Crocs. <laughs> yes, we did. <laughs> and that that did happen. <laughs> and that is going to, that, that I don't know if we want to get into that now. <laughs> we should, though. So the other thing about, I think, misconceptions about therapists is while it is social work is not cat prints and corduroy sweaters, it is not always super glamorous. Like I, a lot right. of people think right. it's like everybody starts off in a, an office and you know, you're laying on the couch. That's like a misconception about therapy, right? Like you're laying yes. on the couch. Being a therapist is not always glamorous. Right. And that would be like, Amy, why did we have a uniform of Crocs <laughs> at one point in our careers? Well, at one point we had the honor of working with folks who lived in some not so safe, not so healthy <laughs> conditions and who were not practicing the best of personal hygiene. No. And we encountered an apartment which whose floor was covered in urine, soaked in urine, human urine. And it was after that day um, that we decided that Crocs would be a part of our daily uniform because you can hose them off at the end of the day. You can. And we wore those for years. I wore those. Yep. I feel like I started, no, I ruined a pair of Crocs when I worked in the prison system. I didn't have Crocs. It was a pair of nice shoes. And that also was a tip off to me that like never again, because first of all, I have rarely disassociated in life where I just left my body. But the day that we were sticking to that client's floor, 
was possibly <laughs> I just disassociated. I was like, I gotta go, and I I'm pretty like tough person as you are too, because we'll get into some of the things we've endured. <laughs> but it was just like I can't function any longer to be here. I'm sticking to the floor, and I just remember being like, I have to run. I just remember that feeling of get me out of here. And that has happened only about three times in my career. That was one of them, <laughs> and Crocs were the answer. The first time where I should have known better is I had started out in um, a prison system. And every once in a while, I, I ended up working in the special housing unit, or SHU, and every once in a while, one of the glamorous aspects of my job is somebody would do something called throwing, where they would mm. hoard their crap literally, mm -hmm. and then throw it against the walls and at staff. And they would bring you down as a social worker, like to de-escalate the situation. And I remember I had bought these lovely shoes, like I loved them. And I got called down and they were just like, can you go deal with so-and-so? And I, he, you know, to his credit, he, I never had anybody throw anything on me. Um, ever, but the damage was done, and I had to walk through literal human crap, and that's when I was like, huh, maybe I could have been the lawyer on the practice. <laughs> Lawyers don't have to deal with this crap. They literally. literally don't have to deal with this crap, and as I kind of tiptoed and tried to, like, you know, hopscotch around human crap, and the guy was like, don't worry, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna get you, and I was like, you better not. I'm here to help you. Uh, I threw those <laughs> shoes away and I had like a pair of like dress shoes or something that I wore. And I knew from then on I was never going to wear nice shoes again. But I didn't invest in Crocs until, you know, the urine soaked floor. And then we could just hose them off. Yes. Yep. And, Not, and that we did. We did plenty of times. Plenty of times. <laughs> I left them in the car just being like, maybe I'll just leave that. So misconception also is that if you are a therapist forget whatever your role is that you are going to be in a nice cozy office immediately right and right. that you will just be sitting there surrounded by people who have problems like i don't know you know do i want a latte or do i want a <laughs> cappuccino and you have to talk them through it <laughs> that is not our experience <laughs> it was like that no. job was so like there were so many highs on that job of like mm -hmm. working with great people and there were so many lows in that yeah. job, like sticking to a floor or <laughs> nearly dying multiple times. Uh, oh, that yes. was fun. That was another thing. Like mm -hmm. your clients don't always love you. Let's talk about that. Sometimes yeah. you're not a superwoman and people are just like, hmm, I hate you. Yes. Yep. And your clients' families hate you as well. Oh, yes. They sure do. And we met the gamut. Like the amount yes. of times that we had people who, ex you know, expressed their displeasure at mm -hmm. our uh, involvement in their life. Mm -hmm. And I think that's part of it, too. It's like with therapy, people come willingly, right? They're like, I want to be here. And then sometimes in social work and in therapy, you end up giving therapy to people who are like, oh, I don't have a choice. I have to do this. And so obviously they're not coming to you with like emotional open arms. And so, and then their family members are also like, why are you here if you can't heal this person? And so we had our share of that as well. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Dissatisfied customers is another <laughs> whole podcast called Dissatisfied Customers in the Therapy World of people who are just like, I hate you. I remember one client told me that they thought 
that I was, uh, like, they had wished several infections upon me on my way to a vacation. It's just a typical Tuesday in our world. Difficult experiences in our career. Um, Oh, yeah. And so what are, like, some of your favorite moments or favorite, do you have a favorite moment that made you be like, I'm in the right spot and I'm doing what I need to be doing? I have probably thousands, which I have to say, I'm really lucky to be able to say that. Yes. That by far the positive has outweighed the negative experiences. Um, And I have to say, so I, you know, recently, somewhat recently became trained in EMDR. And that has absolutely changed my life, both personally and professionally. But what I have been seeing with my clients after doing EMDR sessions has just, it's just amazing. Like it really, I always say that it's magical and I joke about it, but sometimes it really feels like it is. So I've seen some of the coolest, coolest things where people literally change right before my eyes. They come into my office, one person, and they leave a completely different person. So I've actually had that experience a number of times over the last year, year and a half. And I just, it gives me chills to think about it. It gives me chills in the moment. It just, and it's in those moments where I'm like, yes, I am doing what I meant to do. I'm doing what I was put on this planet to do. And I love my job. So I've had, again, I think I'm blessed to say I've had a lot of those um, opportunities and those experiences. Um, And again, they far, far, far outweigh the negative ones. No, for real. And, and what, is EMDR for people who may not know? So EMDR stands for Eye Movement Desensitization and Reprocessing. And it is a an evidence-based trauma treatment um, that's been around for about 20 or so years. Um, but it's, it's an outside-the-box approach to trauma treatment because it's not about the traditional talk therapy. You're not talking through um, your traumatic experiences. You're doing um, a more physical body-based experience, uh, a brain-based experience um, based on bilateral movements, so back and forth movements that highlight the left and right hemispheres of the brain. Um, <clears throat> so if anyone wants to learn more about it, I highly recommend the EMDRIA website, emdria.org. There's tons of information on there, tons of videos. Um, and again, it's, it's one of the most amazing, powerful, very effective treatments for trauma, for anxiety, for anger issues, for self-esteem issues for and the list goes on and on. So it's not just treatment for PTSD, um, which is what most people have have thought of and looked at as over the years. I'll just do a quick example, like a woman in her late 60s who has always been, you know, kind of kicked down, treated badly, verbally abused by her husband, family members, um, you know, finally comes in, decides she wants to work on herself and we do EMDR, and now when she's coming into my office, she has a backbone. Like she actually carries herself differently. She's walking with a an entirely different posture of strength. She told her husband to stop interrupting her. That she's speaking. That he needs to stop and listen to her and pay attention to her and make her a priority. That and is so, just awesome. her entire like being has changed. Um, it's just, it's incredible. So we have, you know, she's, she's late sixties, early seventies. So it's been 70 years of her life that she has not been able to have that voice and to not be able to be that assertive. And she finally has it and she's doing it and she's actively doing it. And it's just, that kind of stuff just blows my mind. No, it does. I mean, and that's the thing too, I think on misconceptions as well as that people don't realize like we do deeply like appropriately invest in the people we work with and we we want them to do well and we want to to see 
them progress and it makes us so like for me I've always felt like it's kind of like this great humbling experience to be in the presence of people engaged in healing right that that Mm -hmm. we get to to ride shotgun as people take care of themselves and take the tools that we just offer them and build their lives back up or change make radical changes and that is always so I think rewarding to be a part of that process and that's what kind of keeps you in therapy when there's days where people are like you suck um and right you know I almost mm-hmm. died today but look this woman <laughs> self it's like self-affirming herself and mm-hmm. is changed her whole world because of a tool that I have have taught her to use and that has always been cool. I know um, for myself, I had, I've had several clients that, I've had so many stories of people that have like stayed with me. When we were working together, I had a person that was a veteran and when we met him, he was struggling, rightfully so, because he'd had a lot of trauma. And I worked with him for a couple years and to see him two years later, living on his own, going to college, had, you know, these ambitions to do these different things and was able to really address the trauma of combat that he experienced and the injuries that he experienced. And we did this also while injured. And to see him engage in healing and take control of his life and change has stuck with me for a decade because I just was in so in awe of his resilience. And oftentimes in the prison, I would have the same experience. To see them kind of open up and become these better versions of themselves, that to me is was what kept me feeling fulfilled. Yep, those are the best moments when you just, you feel it that, you feel it physically that yes, I am doing the right thing. This is the right thing for me. I'm helping people. I know that I'm being effective. It's just, it's such a good feeling. It really is. And I, I think there's I think that the the highs of that counteract any any lows. And even oh, for, for us, sure. like some of our low moments were we found a way, like I said at the outset, to to deal with them in humor and to mm-hmm. still find the humanity in the people we worked with, but also to not take ourselves so seriously. Like when people yes. are cussing you out and, and remember the woman who said uh, she didn't know where I was, but I was probably eating fried chicken at KFC. Yep. <laughs> And throwing, like, racist tropes around. (laughs) Even Mm -hmm. despite that, like, we were always aware of the fact that it's not personal, even when it seems like it is, that we are meeting people in spaces of pain, and that Mm -hmm. while we have limits and we don't tolerate certain behaviors, we're also not going to go on a downward spiral either, or Mm -hmm. become embittered and just be, we're just like, okay, yeah, not at KFC, but... I'll see it when you're at regular schedule appointment and kind of keep it moving. And people, I think, really responded to that with us. I, I would yes. say, like, I think we had a lot of yep. success by treating it that way and just be like, okay, well, you know, mm-hmm. we're not yeah. going to say it's okay to talk this way, but I'm also not going to come in all hurt, wounded, and angry at you when right. I know where this is coming from. Right. Like in that same job, I had an individual who was very upset with me and angry with me because I did not stop and pick him up coffee (laughs) on the way. And, you know, while I am a master's trained licensed clinician, I did not take it personally and beat myself up about the fact that this individual thought that my job was to deliver coffee. Although I was the devil on your shoulder. We're not, we're not definitely not getting him a coffee, which that never entered into your mind. But he basically like barked an order at you like light and sweet. Uh, like yeah. we, we, and that was a low moment. I feel like in general, because I feel like we're like, it, it's like the Visa commercial in re- in reverse. 
How mm-hmm. many years spent at college? This many thousands of dollars. <laughs> Giving up on a personal life for two and a half years to get your license. Mm-hmm. Having ambitions of saving the world. And then having a client reduce you down to a, <laughs> a coffee gal, light and sweet, priceless. Um, and so definitely after that, I just, the best part of that whole story is after we didn't show up with the coffee, because that's not what we do. And, and he cussed us out for that. We then mm-hmm. proceeded and then had an inter- interaction with his family member <laughs> that would not let yes. us go and try to like grab your steering wheel. It was one of the most ridiculously absurd moments ever in, yes. in therapy. But the yes. best is we pull out of that encounter that was anybody else would have seen it would have been crapping their pants. Yep. Um, and we pull out of the counter and I'm like, so you feel like a coffee? <laughs> <laughs> And we went and got a coffee after that. (laughs) Indeed, we did. And the other thing I just have to say, so not only are we in this completely remote rural situation with very high risk individuals, many of whom are men, but we are two women. You are an extremely petite black woman in this like northern territory. And, you know, I'm this white woman who whatever, but we just we were this incredibly strong duo that anyone to look at us wouldn't have thought that but yeah we pulled out of that situation this guy's like literally hanging on to the door of the jeep (laughs) not letting us go and we went and we got coffee afterwards because that's how you do it that's how you survive the near-death moments as a social worker just this hush of silence as you are like whipping it out of the, uh, the parking lot trying to get away from this unhinged family member right that wasn't even the client he was just like he right. had it um and there was just this silence as we we're driving down the road and i'm like so so who wants a coffee <laughs> <laughs> light and sweet and we went and got our coffee light and sweet and that's just how you have to cope with it and i feel like that kind of brings us to like people don't see that they don't see that side and then one of mm-hmm. my annoyances is depictions of therapy in the media and in oh, film. Yeah. And so I've, <laughs> I've seen some rarely, but occasionally some good depictions. And then I've seen mostly some horrible ones. Do you have any that come to mind of like either good or bad depictions of therapists? We'll start with the bad because that's always more fun. So I can't think of the name of the show, but with Naomi Watts. Um, oh yes, Gypsy. Like one Gypsy. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it was canceled scary. after one season, but the whole premise of that show was that she was stalking the friends and family members of her clients yes. and inserting herself into her clients' lives without their knowledge. And that was the entire premise of the show. Yes, and was. I was so grateful that it was canceled after <laughs> one season because if we don't already have an uphill battle trying to prove our worth as to what we do. That show was undoing everything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel like that that is definitely that show is really wild. And I think it also plays into like one of my favorite tropes to hate is like the therapist who can't wait to have sex with their patients. Like we're just all waiting. First of all, we're all waiting for the model to come into our office, our cozy right. office, who is so unbearably attractive that we're like, you know what? Forget my license. Forget professionalism. I got to get with that. Absolutely. And that is done over and over again. I think one of the ones that stuck out for me was the woman in The Departed. She mm. was, whose therapist? She was Leo DiCaprio's therapist. And she, of course, ends up having sleeping with him. 
mm-hmm. and giving him like drugs when he wanted it to. He was like, I need medication. She was like, well, I love you. So here we go. I'm going to get some meds for you. And it was one of the most demeaning, I feel like, experience, like watching someone who has no willpower. I mean, Leo had his looks, you know, he's a good looking guy, but come on. And she just was mm-hmm. like, it all out the window. So that really. I think one that was really upsetting too was the series in treatment because oh, yeah, it was a male therapist. He was actually, is it really? Yes, it is. They're reviving it. <laughs> They're reviving with a whole new oh, cast. Wow. Not the same male therapist though. So he was, he was a decent enough therapist he and was. he did some really good work, but then they brought in a character that flirted with him yes. and he lost all sense of boundaries <laughs> and ethics. And he carried on an affair with his client. Like, that, no, 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 I know. No. And you were kind of like, will they, won't they, hoping, right? Like, mm-hmm. it, that was what was upsetting about In Treatment, was that you're right. Like, his therapy was actually pretty solid. And you could tell they consulted with therapists. But then you watch him be like, well, it's sexy hour with, you know, Jane. <laughs> and you see Mate. him just going, crashing and burning into this relationship and i don't even know if they actually end up having sex but like they have an emotional affair right yes and it becomes this whole thing where he can't even manage his practice and he's considering quitting being a therapist because well he's so far far gone and -hmm. it was really upsetting to see that too i mean though i watched every single episode i'm not gonna lie (laughs) (laughs) so i think it's important to state that you know going back to the myths of therapy we're not like horny people that just have to <laughs> jump on our clients when they come into our office. That is not part of the profession. That is not one of the expectations. So if someone's entering into therapy, hoping hoping for a romantic or sexual relationship with their therapist, just don't. It's just, just don't. Step that's it out of your head like, now. When you do meet people who are attractive it, and they, it, it never really comes to your mind right. to engage because we met people in real spaces of pain. So I'm like, why would I be thinking about how attractive this person is who's clearly struggling? Right. And take advantage of that. And that just that. becomes, that becomes predatory. Right. And that's a whole other issue. Yeah. Right. It's like, why would I even be, put my mind even go there? So yeah, it's very important for people to know that we have a very <laughs> strict set of professional ethics yes. that we have to adhere to, to continue to practice and to continue to, continue to keep our licenses. And if you enter into therapy with a therapist who is trying to create a romantic or sexual relationship with you, get the heck out of there and report as, as you can. Yes. Report their license. So in summation, 95% of the time they get it wrong, in my opinion, oh, when I'm watching for sure. it. Because it helps it mm-hmm. move a storyline, right? Yeah. Well, who do you think gets it right? Have you seen any depictions where they get it right? So the doctor, I think she was a doctor in My Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. Yes. She, yeah. Um, Dr. Acopian, I think her name was. She got it right, in my opinion. I mean, to the extent that you can get it right in a musical TV comedy. (laughs) (laughs) No, I actually, I'm going to say Crazy Ex-Girlfriend was one of mine, too. That's my favorite depiction. But it wasn't actually Dr. Acopian, who I agree with you. She got it right. But the the man that she saw that diagnosed her with borderline personality disorder. Oh, okay. Yep, yep. He was fantastic. Mm -hmm. And I thought he was really good, too. And he had, like, my similar sense of humor. He walked her through... um, DBT, uh, dialectical mm-hmm. behavioral therapy, which is what's commonly used most of the time to, to treat borderline personality disorder. And mm-hmm. I thought the honest depiction of it, the way that they diagnosed it and the way he talked to her about it was so dead on. Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, I agree with you, from start to finish, all the mental health practitioners had, mm-hmm. they were dead on. Like, I, I would have treated 
the main character very similar as yep. they did. And they still had mm-hmm. their sense of humor and they were funny, right? I think that's probably been my favorite depiction yep. of therapy. Yep. And they did a very good job with that. Bonkers, hilarious, out in left field TV show. Like it was such a good show, <laughs> period. And but then mm-hmm. the depiction of therapy was really good. That would be a fun job to be a consultant yes. for a TV show or a movie around how to portray therapists and mental health in general. That would I would awesome love job. that as a job. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm if you're listening, anyone, Amy and I are available to do. We are for hire. <laughs> we are totally available. And as you can tell, we have a sense of humor. Let's do an ad for it, Amy. <laughs> we have a sense of humor. We know yeah. limits and boundaries. We know it's not appropriate to sleep with your clients. Like, we know that off out the gate. So right. that should put us in the top 10% of people you should be scouting. Call Say, me. Call us. Amy and Kelly <laughs> Consulting. Um, that's, that's the last episode of the Burn Bright Podcast because I'm going into Hollywood consultation. So people, nine out of 10 times, don't listen to the TV therapists in your exactly. favorite fictional shows because they are probably telling you absolute trash. Um, Absolutely. But make for great plot lines. So I can't, like, mm-hmm. I can only be so upset about it. <laughs> one other example of a of someone who got it right was last season on Grey's Anatomy there was an episode where they showed a uh, a session of EMDR and it was done perfectly it was oh, wow. probably it was very impressive um it was one of the doctors one of the female doctors had had a traumatic experience um I think it was after she had come out of rehab maybe I don't remember the timeline exactly, but she's doing a session in the episode and they got it right. And it was, it was amazing. So they definitely had a good consultant on their TV show. That could be us. Call us. You've got like 25 more seasons planned, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. Amy and Kelly consulting. I need to like insert a nice magical (laughs) jingle at the end of that. Um, (laughs) So shifting gears before we go into like the rapid fire parts of this interview, which is also going to be fun. uh, I wanted to talk about we have talked about the highs and the lows. We've talked about funny stories and things that are memorable for us as therapists. And and at the root of it all is we really want to help people. I think that's part of why we choose these fields and are attracted to right. them. And a, a lot of people, this year has been, you know, professionally, in my opinion, I would call dumpster fire severe. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um and a lot of people are struggling. They're struggling to manage anxiety. They're struggling with trying to balance life and all these competing anxieties of COVID and politics and family. And so I thought we could at least give some people some basic tips about how to manage anxiety and where to find some resources. Yep. And do you have any tips in general for managing anxiety, one or two? Absolutely. So because I'm coming from the EMDR world, one of the things that I encourage everyone to do is some form of bilateral movement. So that can be, I mean, running and walking are bilateral. So it's something oh, cool. that you, where you move from left to right, left to right, back and forth at a steady pace. Tapping your knees, tapping your feet back and forth, just doing something where you're moving left to right, left to right, and remembering to breathe while you do it. Can, you know, if you're in a moment where you're feeling really anxious or you're feeling angry and irritable or, you know, there's something on your mind throughout the day that just you're ruminating and you can't get that thought to stop, do a bilateral movement and breathe through it. And the intensity of it should reduce after a couple of minutes. And it's something, you know, if you're sitting in a meeting and you're finding yourself really anxious and you don't want to move left to right because everyone will look at you like, what are you doing? (laughs) You You can curl your toes back and forth inside your shoes so people can't see it. 
or just tap your feet gently and lightly where it's not very noticeable. So there are things you can do where it's not noticeable to other people. So that's kind of a quick and easy anxiety reducer. Another one that I often have people do is a breathe, a quick breathing exercise, four, seven, eight breathing, where you inhale for four seconds, hold your breath for seven seconds, exhale for eight seconds, and do that series three times in a row. And what I really like about that one is not only is the breathing reducing the physiological effects of the stress, but because you're forced to focus on the counting, your brain has to shut off all those other thoughts and all those other images and emotions for just that time and focus on the counting. So it's coming at you from a physiological and a mental perspective. So that one is really helpful. And again, something you can do where not a lot of people need to notice that you're doing it. Another one is kind of the the image of containment, imagining a container that you could be a mason jar, could be a shoebox, could be something that you know, or backpack, your briefcase, whatever it might be that contains things, that can hold things. And just imagine placing whatever stressors you have, whatever worry thoughts, whatever is ailing you at the time, and you're putting it inside that container and you're putting a lid on it. And you're not, it's not imagining it being locked away where we're never going to go back to it. It's not about avoiding it. It's just giving yourself a break, a mini vacation from it so that you can kind of have a breather from all of those worries and all of the negativity. So containment, four, seven, eight breathing and bilateral movements are kind of some some quick and dirty, if you will, ways to to manage stress and anxiety in the moment. I love the four, seven, eight breathing. There's so many variations, but I love your variation on it. Mm -hmm. And the bilateral movement is great. Tapping your feet, one alternating is Mm -hmm. a great idea because so many people can do that no matter where you are. If you're sitting, you're watching a TV show, you're at work, Mm -hmm. you're wherever you are, no one will notice that. Yep, exactly. That's awesome. Those are really Mm -hmm. great tips. I know people are going to find those useful. So I want to introduce, this is a new season, new season, new me on the Burn Brain Podcast. (laughs) I want to introduce doing rapid fire questions for people and getting okay. like your the first thought that comes to your mind and uh, in, ending our interviews with that. So here is a couple of those questions. If you could choose another career, what would it be? FBI profiler. Oh, I wanted to do that too. I got into school for that, <laughs> as you know. And then was mm-hmm. like, I'm going to be a social worker. And then I cried. It's a whole story. That's a whole other episode of Bird Bright Podcast, <laughs> how I was almost an FBI profiler. What is a quote or saying or song or lyrics, anything that you live by? Um, I love the Maya Angelou quote that when people show you who they are, they believe them the first time. Yeah. That is so true and has worked out for me every time I've applied that to people in my life. Yes, it's so true. Okay, very deep right. question. Celebrity crush. Uh, Sterling K. Brown, Shamar Moore. Okay, yes. Does she? <laughs> we're we're going to go into another segment, and Amy will probably stick around for this one because I'm going to tell you about what I'm loving. And she loves herself some Randall from This Is Us. <laughs> um, <laughs> ideal way to spend a weekend? Uh, just relaxing, preferably like somewhere on the water, by the lake, hanging out with my two dogs, and a book. That would be ideal. Oh, that sounds perfect. Advice you wish someone gave you five years ago? Five years ago, 2015. Oh, well, I was in a really bad job at that point. So I wish someone would have said, quit, get out now, run, change your career, and go do what you love. Yes. <laughs> run for your life. And yeah. what's a song that gets you through tough times? Ooh. So 
an old gospel standard, the storm is passing over. That's definitely something I have in my head whenever there's a a tough moment or a stressful day. Oh, that's great. I love it. And then uh, guilty pleasure. (laughs) Well, I had taken a break from it, but sadly I have returned to watching The Bachelorette this season. Like a crack addiction. Amy is back on that bachelor pipe and she is on full thrust into bachelor. There were so many innuendos in that one sentence. How many innuendos did I put? (laughs) I as I'm saying it, I'm like, that is just not at all what I'm going for. But here we are. We've arrived. I am that therapist, Amy. I am that therapist. Oh no. Just kidding. Um so Amy is a, is down with the Bachelorette franchise, and I yeah. will have to say, like, this is going to be another episode. You have to come back because we'll have to talk only about guilty pleasures mm-hmm. and the Bachelor and the Bachelorette. So weirdly enough, my guilty pleasure isn't watching the show because, as you know, I've only made it through. You did get me to watch quite a few, though. For me, I did. I did. You I did. You should be ashamed. But I feel like <laughs> I I, a friend begged me, and I finally watched the first season of the ba- one season of The Bachelor all the way through, and that was the Ari one, the older Bachelor. Oh, right, right, right. He yep. was boring as heck, but you know, I I, I found some joy because I drank through most of it. And then I kind of, then you kind of like hooked me in to be like, well, what about Winter Games? Or <laughs> I think I watched Winter Games. And you then don't know what you're I missing. think I watched Colton season, which that is a whole again when we talk about guilty pleasures. I I was like, well, look how that dumpster fire turned out. Like now he has a restraining order against him. Anyways, mm-hmm. my guilty pleasure isn't actually watching The Bachelor or Bachelorette. It is oddly when I started watching The Bachelor, one of the girls from it started a podcast about The Bachelor. So now mm. my guilty pleasure is like listening to the podcast about The Bachelor rather than watching it because I find <laughs> some of those so funny and oh, they're like de- debriefing. There's one like I think one of the guys, I don't even know who he is, uh, Nick? There's a Nick? Nick Fayol? Maybe. You could tell he's like classically handsome and thinks he know and knows it and he has a podcast. That podcast is actually quite funny. And then there's one... Um, <laughs> Becca Martinez from Ari season. Mm-hmm. She has a you podcast. Liked I liked her. I always liked her. <laughs> she has a podcast called Chatty Broads, and it is funny. I have to say, <laughs> and they recap the Bachelorette and the Bachelor. And so mm-hmm. that is, I would say, like I have like a parallel guilty pleasure of enjoying the podcast occasionally and being like, "What's going on in that world?" and then listening to them tell me. so i totally get that we'll have a whole episode on guilty pleasures and deep dive into different ones because i think i can Mm. actually go toe-to-toe now with like the bachelor and the bachelorette because i occasionally listen to the podcast and probably know more details than you do about behind the scenes because i'm like oh this is interesting let's listen to an executive talk about how they (laughs) manipulate people into just humiliating themselves awesome i'll have to check those out they're good. They're good. I, I should not be promoting other podcasts on the podcast because those guys are clearly not hurting, but they're good. I would say <laughs> both of those podcasts are quite funny and, and really well done about Bachelor stuff, but tongue-in-cheek with it. And so that brings me to my newest segment, which I think you'll appreciate, Amy, which is What I Am Loving. This segment is going to be dedicated to me just talking about whatever I am nerding out on or enjoying as a whole that has kind of lit me up. And so this week, what I am loving, it's a show that I love in general, and that is This Is Us premiered this week. Now, I'm feeling mixed about this because I, as I told Amy via text message, 
I do not love the introduction of the pandemic into the storyline. It feels like it's just too soon for that. But overall, This Is Us is just always a treat to engage with. And it's such a thoughtful show, and it really does tackle a lot of these issues as thoughtfully as possible, even if I think, too soon, This Is Us, too soon. And I'm particularly loving a moment in the show between Randall, who's usually not my favorite character, though Amy loves Randall (laughs) dearly, and his sister, Kate. And they have this really profound conversation about him being a black man who's adopted by a white family and against the backdrop of like the Black Lives Matter and police brutality crisis in America. And he has this really difficult but beautifully written and received conversation with his sister who is white and telling her that basically up until George Floyd's murder, they really had never engaged on this topic. They never talked about it. They never really seemed like it was hitting them or they cared. And him telling her that, you know, he can't be there for her because he has to take care of himself and putting himself first and letting his sister kind of go sit with the fact that if she wants to engage with him at this level, she's got to sit with the fact that, you know, maybe she wasn't always as engaged as she should have been and figure out a way to be supportive of him. And I loved that moment. And that's the reason why I will come back and watch the show. Even when I'm not always loving everything that's happening in the show, I'm loving the fearless way and the graceful way that they handle really difficult topics. Mm-hmm. And in the end, kind of full circle topic, he learns that he's not with the right therapist. Yes. And that he makes a very wise, wise and empowered choice to move to a different therapist. Yes. He wants a therapist mm-hmm. of color because he realizes there's yep. some things he can't talk about with a therapist. He makes this choice for himself. Like what's mm-hmm. really great is amidst this, you know, and I think this is a message of hope to kind of end the podcast on is like in the midst of this dumpster fire that this character is in and that we're all in communally with race relations and a pandemic randall who's had some real mental health struggles is Mm -hmm. really finding his resiliency randall who was the most vulnerable of the siblings is now becoming so much more resilient and stronger than Mm -hmm. he's ever been despite the worst situations that he's ever faced and that's hopeful for me and I think another reason why I'm loving the show is that you know it's not that everyone's going to be resilient during this time period because we're not but that there is still possibilities for resilience which is what Randall has decided to embrace in the face of these challenges right and when things feel so out of control around us that we have no we're powerless to so many things we can control those things in our own world So if we're recognizing that something isn't working for us, something isn't helpful for us, change that. We have the power to change certain things. So he decided to change to a different therapist. And it might be something as small as that. And that's okay, as long as we feel like we have control and power over something in our lives during this tumultuous time. And to do it now more than ever, right? I love what you're saying, because I preach this message of self-care being like this this best way of standing up for yourself and really this Mm -hmm. radical engagement to commitment to self and so i loved randall's character arc if you're watching this is us please if you haven't start from the beginning and catch up if you are and you've been like oh i forgot it was back on tune in because i think that storyline of resilience and self-care and knowing that self-care isn't about massages and vacations it's about right. boundaries and facing things head on and and claiming things for yourself and claiming space and asking for it when you need it 
and taking a time out in all the right ways. And so I thought that was a really great depiction on the show. So that's mm-hmm. what I'm loving this week. This is us is back. Agreed. So, Amy, thanks for joining me. I'm I'm so glad we got to chat. And thank I, you for having me. Yeah, it was fun. You'll be back because I feel like I need to do a guilty pleasures and talk <laughs> about like my weird crushes on people that are like slightly weird and, and not inappropriate, mm. but like just weird. Hannibal. Hannibal. Oh yeah, that's gonna be on the guilty pleasure. <laughs> totally, totally guilty pleasures podcast coming in probably about like three weeks is gonna be me talking about my unhealthy obsession. With the television show Hannibal and Hannibal himself. Like, I just, I love that man. I saw a picture of him the other day and I was like, (sighs) he lights me up, Amy. He lights me up. So thanks for joining us. Thanks for taking a peek uh, behind the curtain with us, everyone, and talking all about therapy, but in a way that makes it hopefully more accessible to you and make you feel like if that's something you need to do, there are people out there that are actually pretty cool and are waiting around to help you. So that's it for the season premiere of the Burn Bright podcast. I hope you enjoyed the interview as much as I did. There will be much more to come in the weeks. I have some fantastic guests lined up with lots of laughs and lots of good information as well. In the interim, I want to talk about one segment that I'm introducing to the podcast, and that's called Ask Me Anything. That's right. This is your opportunity to ask me anything you want. There's going to be two ways to do that. The first way is find me on Instagram at the Burn Bright Podcast handle and DM me your question. The second way is you can send an email to burnbrightpodcast at gmail.com. Remember, this is the Ask Me Anything segment. So there's pretty much nothing off limits, whether it be just information about self-care or mindfulness and burnout or just random questions about myself. I am going to be an open book on this podcast and I'd love to hear from you. When I get questions, I'll feature them in the segment. As always, you can find me on Instagram on the Burn Bright Podcast and at letsburnbright.com where you're going to get information on self-care, mindfulness, and burnout prevention. This podcast itself is on a host of platforms, Apple and Google Podcasts, just to name a few, and Spotify. I would love it if you subscribed so you could get fresh content each week. And if possible, please go to iTunes and leave a review on this podcast as reviews give me life. So until next week, take care of yourself and take care of each other.